Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. Uh, and, and we're here to talk about more Eldraine. More, definitely more than we talked about last week, which was... <laughs> I, think, I think last week I talked about Eldraine for like... I think I measured it. It was like three minutes of an hour. We got we got like hour. maybe ten to fifteen full minutes on Eldraine, which was mostly <laughs> go back and listen to our old episodes about Eldraine, because um, we've been recording long enough that we are getting returns to planes that came out after we started the podcast, which is weird to think about. Yeah, I don't like thinking yeah. <laughs> about it, so I'm gonna stop. Um, but uh, we're going to start talking about the Eldraine story. We have uh, five episodes. We're talking one to three today and two more next week. It's four and five next week. Um, That's how five numbers episodes. work. That's yeah, well, I, look, I was a film major with a creative writing minor, and there was no math in there at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Eldraine... Wilds of Eldraine story by K. Arsenal Rivera, a good friend of the show. Wonderful human, wonderful stories. I like them. Um, yeah, it's been a while we since any... we've done one of these, so well, I'm, I'm trying to well, get I, like used to I, it again. I realize do we have? Any, I don't think we have any news because we have the big news day. Yeah, we have a whole episode of news. We can just you can just go listen yeah. to us just talk news. Well, I I don't think we have any new news. No, we've got some olds. There's been some reprints announced. Some olds. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, then let's just talk about the story. Yeah. We're going yeah, to talk the story to start? today. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm already You're starting. You're starting. starting. Have, Take it away, I've, Chris. I've literally already grabbed the reins of this beast, and I'm uh, slouching it straight towards uh, Ardenvale. Um, so we got three episodes today. The first one first magic story episode since March of the Machine Aftermath came out, so that's been a while, uh, called Pure of Heart. Uh, we're starting off with the, you know, it took them a total of like two lines before they mentioned it, but we're dealing with some ramifications. The Rammies have gotten to us. Uh, the Phyrexian invasion has happened. Uh, High King Kenrith is dead, so long live High King Kenrith. Um, Will has sort of assumed the crown has taken on the role of High King, despite not having done a questing beast quest, despite not having gotten... I don't think he's really gotten a knighthood in any of the castles or uh, any of those. So, like, good on Will for, you know, being a, a white man uh, who's woefully underqualified but still taking the job. Um, Rowan is got some misgivings about all this because of the whole fact that Will does not really have a claim other than through hereditary reasons to being High King. Um, so she's a little concerned about it. And also she's just a little traumatized in general. Uh, the two of them have set off to deal with a very rebellious knight who was introduced as uh, previously Sir Imadane, now calling herself Queen Imadane. Uh, she's kind of taken over a little area of land. She's got some knights who are part of her, uh, you know, you could say court. Um, she's real cool. She's got a big flaming hammer and one of her arms is made of wood uh, because cool. Um, Medane and Will, Will like agreed to a duel so that Will can be like, hey, if you win, you can have the kingdom. I don't care if I win, though, you have to respect me. 
And uh, Rowan does not like this. She thinks Will is going to die. And he does put himself in a pretty deadly situation. Uh, and Rowan kind of freaks out and blasts a mountain in half. She like summons up a bunch of lightning power and it just cracks a mountain. And it's very cool uh, and scares everyone there, including Will. Uh, Emma Dane just runs off into the woods and she um, she runs into a fairy. Uh, not just any fairy, though, into Talion, the Lord of the Fairies, the like high lord of fairies as opposed to high king. Uh, the, the kind lord. Kindly lord. There we go. Uh, and that's pretty fun. Uh, and then we jump over to Kellen, the like supposedly I like this boy. Yeah, real good boy. Good bean. He the is going to be, be in a... familiar with if you watch any of the previous panels that any of mm-hmm. the two panels that have been introducing Eldraine but if you don't here he is (laughs) yeah he is going to be an important recurring character we have been told this already uh that he is going to be part of the overarching plot for like at least the next year potentially I think like several years um but he's cool he's half fey uh he lives in a town called Orenshire that's so far away from any sort of civilization that they didn't really even have to deal with the Phyrexians. Um, as he says, he doesn't think the Phyrexians cared about sheep. Uh, it's just, it's kind of just middle of nowhere. It makes sense that the Phyrexians just wouldn't have gotten there um, before they were stopped. Uh, he's being bullied, though, because people are mean to him. He's like a little teenager, and all the other teenage boys are like throwing uh, shavings of you at him, is I think what it is, and like iron, you know, cold iron nails. Because uh, he's half fairy and they don't like fairies. But he's got a good mom and a good stepdad. Uh, the stepdad's really nice. Really good family life for for Kellen. Very supportive. Um, then back at Castle Vantress, because Castle Ardenvale has been uh, uninhabited, uh, Rowan and Will are having an argument because Rowan thinks that they should leave. She thinks that they need to planeswalk away to go find an answer to this problem, uh, the Wicked Slumber. So we kind of covered this a little bit last week, but also during March of the Machine, uh, the Phyrexians were stopped on Eldraine by this like magical spell that put them all to sleep. Uh, but the the magical sleep has been spreading, and now all sorts of people are asleep, and that's not good. So Rowan wants to go planeswalk away to like Strixhaven or somewhere to find an answer to the Wicked Slumber, and Will thinks that it's really important that they remain on Eldraine to do their like royal duties and help protect the realms, which are kind of falling apart. Um, they get into a big argument and Rowan tries to planeswalk away, uh, which would mean dragging Will with her, but she can't. And she uh, starts having these like traumatic memories of the death of her father and mother, uh, Algenus and Linden, where they were killed by a giant Phyrexian. And it's really very sad and shocking. And so we're not sure if she can't planeswalk because Will is stopping her or is if because of this like trauma, it could also just be that like she can't planeswalk anymore. But we're going to figure that out later. Um, then, meanwhile, Kellen is uh, going off into the woods. He's like supposed to go like have like a fun little picnic with his mom. But while he's walking through the woods, he runs into a Feyman path, as I'm calling it. Uh, it's like a little gateway into the Fey realms of Eldraine. And he steps through it because he's a brave kid uh, and finds Lord Talion there who offers Kellen a reward of knowing who his f- actual 
Fae Father is, if Kellen will defeat the three witches who cast and continue to maintain the spell of the wicked slumber. Uh, so it's kind of weird. Talion's trying to do something nice. That's unusual for a fae. Uh, and Kellen agrees to this quest because he wants to be a hero. And he also wants to learn who his mysterious fae father is. Uh, and that's the end of episode one. It's a good one. It's a good episode. It's a good start to magic story again. It was fun. I mean, here's the thing. If me and Chris are hanging out and somebody wants to fight me for ownership, ownership of the Golden Gate Bridge, something I definitely don't own, and then they almost kill me during that fight, like, that's kind of, that's kind of messed up. Like, why are you wagering the entire kingdom that you don't even have, like, I'm pretty sure Will knows that he's not, like, the actual king at this point. I mean, so... Gotta project authority. Yeah, Yeah, but... Projecting authority and then, you know, betting on that authority and then losing and um, your sister has to create a tectonic rift in order to get you out of it. Like, pretty good. But Will is off to a stupid start. <laughs> he's, <laughs> Rowan he's is off doing to a best. slightly less stupid start, respectably, but... um yeah, I'm I'm Team Rowan in this one because Will's kind of blundering his way into this leadership, and people are giving him too much credit for having the confidence without, you know, actual thought behind it. He's definitely got a lot of uh, he he's, I think of him as like acting under a lot of like stress where he's just like, well, I've got to do it right. Like this is what I have to do, and he's not realizing that well, some of what he's some, doing is really somebody dangerous. has to. Yeah. Will, Will's idea is that the the realm is shattered and somebody has to step up and nobody is. So it's going to be him. It looks to me like Imidane stepped up. Yeah. <laughs> nah, she not, was doing her own yeah. little thing. I think beyond the scope of this story, multiple qualified seasoned individuals who, um, you know, weren't the son of the king could have stepped up and unified people. <laughs> But he has he has the uh, monarch advantage, so gets to draw an extra card or something. Um, yeah, he's he is wearing a crown. That's the important part. Any other thoughts before we head into episode two? Yeah, the I had reheated pasta tonight for dinner. It was freaking delicious. <laughs> oh, thoughts about the story? Yeah, yeah. I have a thought about Kellen, who I think is a really compelling uh, character and works well for the goals of uh, being like a point of view character and potentially like a main character for a long form narrative. Um, Instead of doing the planeswalker thing where they drop a character off in an unknown location and now that character doesn't know anything and we have to like learn about the world through their eyes. Um, Rip Teo. I mean, he's still alive, but like, is he? Um, we yes. instead <laughs> We instead get a main character who's just like a kid and lived a very sheltered mm-hmm. life. Um, so we still get like some of the same tropes of like this person doesn't know how things are done. Um, but it's like a little more. I don't know. It's like I don't want to say believable, but it's like a little it feels a little bit more natural to like be like, hey, yeah, Kellen is just kind of a young kid and doesn't really know what's going on and not like 
Yeah, no, he's like a normal adult. He just doesn't know where he is. He like, He's from fantasy Wyoming. He and he's in the big city. Um, I, I, I think one of my favorite things about the way his family's depicted is that uh, he's out here wondering who his birth father is without hating his stepfather, without having a bad stepfather. His stepfather's great. His family is great. His home life is wonderful. Um, he has kind and caring parents. Um, and so this drive to know who his birth father is isn't driven by this terrible home life. It's just curiosity. It's just that he doesn't know and he wants to know. Uh, and he wants to believe that he was some kind of wandering hero, and that's why he's not here, and maybe he can be a hero too. He's also, like, a little genre-savvy, mm-hmm. um, but he's also living in a world steeped in genre, and so yeah. he has that kind of, So I, I, I think what gets at the nugget of that little bit of outsiderness is, is that, like, yes, he's from Eldraine, but he's from... Eldraine, Wyoming, and so he's heard stories about the realm and the wilds and knights and fairies and things. Um, And so that gives him, like, that sense of genre savviness comes from the fact that he is familiar with the stories that are told about this plane but does not have direct experience with them. Uh, and, and I think that leads him to be very adventurous um, and and hopeful and positive and optimistic um, and sometimes knowledgeable uh, and sometimes just be very wrong about things. And uh, he's, just, he's just a good boy. He's just a good boy, and I really like him. Yeah, I want to revisit the discussion about his home life once we've uh, finished all five episodes, because I think there's uh-huh. a lot to be said about that after episode five. Um, oh, yeah, I, I agree. We'll get to that. Yeah, because I have thoughts on it, too. And they're all positive. I think he's yeah. I like his, his parents a lot. I like his mom and his stepdad. His stepdad's just this really he shows up for like such a short amount of time, but is makes an impact as just being like, oh, there's a good dad. Ronald Sweep. Um, yep. Let's hop to episode two. So Rowan has been out quest- questing to find a cure for the wicked slumber. Now well, that I was going to say, yeah, I know. Can't. We've known she's bisexual for years now. <laughs> <laughs> um, now that they're not planeswalking somewhere else to solve their problems. And uh, spends a lovely evening with a normal human woman named Royce, um, who's a weaver. Uh, Rowan finds her way to a crumbling old castle. Oh, well, hold on. Finds... Yeah, yeah, you're what? skipping over some important things there. Okay, um, people people want to say that they bone down nasty style, but <laughs> um, she's a spider lady. And she's a very nice night with Royce the spider lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rowan's not off put by this in any way. Um, I, I feel like she's kind of over it at this point. She but. was off put by it a little bit. And then Royce was like, come on. Everybody else in the village is chill with it. It's fine. Don't you want to live a little, um, you know, just want to have some fun. I will not comment. <laughs> um, Rowan finds she, her way. She, she learned about weaving. That's all you need to know. There you go. 
Uh, she makes her way to a crumbling old castle where she finds a good bed and sleeps, dreaming of her parents and Ardenvale. Totally not over her parents' death, but what can you do at this point? She takes it as a sign and heads to the castle. Meanwhile, our very, very experienced, kind of knowledgeable, all-around hero, Kellen, is literally just in Edgewall, asking everyday people if they know where he can find a witch to kill. <laughs> he is the the player character just soliciting all information from everybody he possibly can, avoiding um, any ramifications from the person he's seeking. And so Ruby, a young girl who is definitely the Red Riding Hood, um, runs into him and offers to help if he thinks Talion might be able to help her find her brother. Uh, she doesn't know it's Talion at this point. She just knows that Kellen has a benefactor who has put him on this quest. Um, Kellen and Ruby run into a big scary bad wolf knight in the woods, and he chases them into a bunch of witch stalkers. The witch stalkers fight the big bad wolf, and the pair of kids find themselves at a witch's hut where Agatha, the cooking people live witch, <laughs> is preparing <laughs> to cook Imodane. She's high in fiber, is the note here. Um, She's got the wooden arm. She's this is this is the fairy tale witch who eats people, and the kids are. I wonder what they're gonna do to her. Are they gonna shove her in an oven? No, ovens don't exist. So into the, <laughs> into the cauldron she goes. The kids concoct a plan, and Kellen manages to push Agatha into her own cauldron. Um, I do want to point out the ovens do exist. They're just banned in this format. True, true. I forgot about cat oven, the iconic. Iconic Eldraine oven combo. Um, exiling her and putting a plus one plus one counter on Imodane, which is a card reference I have not seen yet. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> I figure some people will like the mechanical implications of this, at least. Uh, the wolf shows up and reveals, oh, it's her brother. It was her brother, and it, they shouldn't have been scared of him because he was trying to help them. He's just you know, really intimidating and chasing them <laughs> through the woods. No, no, he was trying to kill them because he was ensorcelled by Agatha. Yeah. yeah. He, he, was, he was not and being so, her friend. Um, he does get to reunite with her um, pretty briefly, as we'll see in heading into story three. But with Peter's help, Kellen carries the cauldron out of the witch's hut and through a, as Chris coined them, Feynman path, finishing part one of three of his quests. So. He has finished one out of three of the objectives to complete this quest. He has dealt with one witch. What could possibly come next? Um, if you would think that episode three would feature killing another witch, uh, you'd be wrong. But we'll talk about it. Yeah, in a that's right. You get, a, you get a little spacer episode as you're trying yeah. to kill the witch. Um, I So I really love this story. I feel so bad for... Like, I don't feel bad. I feel for Rowan... Because you can tell that she is going through it. Um, this episode really like highlights just like the kind of restless state of trauma and depression that she's in, where she feels like she has to be doing something. Um, she's having a bad time. She's having a bad time. Um, it mentions that she's like barely sleeping, which is a really interesting comparison to the fact that there's a sleeping curse on the land. So while everyone else is forced to sleep, she can't. Um, and when she does, she has these terrible nightmares. So, like, 
just she's worn down. Um, and I think that's an important thing to remember. She has been worn down a lot by all of these like events and she's getting no rest. She's getting no like time to like try and handle the horrible things that she experienced during the Frexian invasion. She's just suffering. It was, I mean, nightmares suck. Parents dying suck. But it was nice to kind of get the scene of uh, her parents kind of sacrificing themselves so that the kids could get out um, in the form of a little dream flashback because we weren't exactly given that with Aftermath despite it being like one of the... um, pivotal story moments featured in the set so happy we got a little bit more of a glimpse of that to prove that it did actually happen and it actually is haunting them at this point um not so much will because again he's off screen for most of this story but rowan's not having a good time yeah will will and rowan are just definitely handling it very differently which is to be expected out of these two characters that like Will's point of view is to kind of, I don't know, be numb about it because he's he's an ice mage Um, (laughs) and like force himself into this role as king while Rowan's whole thing is uh, that she has to go blow up something. She's a lightning mage and like run out and be, I don't know, erratic. So, yeah, she's she's having a real bad time and it's not going to turn out well for her. Um, Meanwhile, Kellen is just having the time of his life. Yeah. <laughs> just out there asking people where he can find witches to kill, um, running away from witch stalkers, and uh, it's it's fun. Locking himself into competent allies in true fairy tale fashion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ruby is such a good character, and she's very fun in this story, um, throwing apples at things to distract them. Um, yeah, and then... Agatha, okay, so in this episode, Agatha, like, has a song that she's singing while she's, like, cooking, well, preparing to cook Imidane, and it is just adorable. Like, I say adorable. I mean, like, it's terrifying, but it's also great. She's like, uh, when I was hungry and night wandered in, wild at heart and covered in ten, how easy it was to beat her in truth, but how hard to eat her without breaking a tooth. <laughs> it's just, it, yeah. The the whole Eldraine well, Wilds of Aldrain's story leans into the fairy tale stuff. I think the amount that the original Eldrain leaned into it on the cards, but not the story. And it feels rewarding. <laughs> Especially considering how few stories we're getting and how many they were able to jam pack in there to make it mm-hmm. very clear that this is um, decidedly the fairy tale world. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the identity issues Eldraine has is that knights show up everywhere. Almost every plane has knights. Uh, most planes don't have fairy tale stuff, and I think that's really where the core identity of this world is. And I think this set and story both do a really, really good job of embracing that. And these stories are really fun because of it. I also want to point out there's this thing and it, it happens a little bit in episode one. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There's this thing that happens a little bit in episode one and uh, more in this episode uh, and continues to happen where Kellen will like try and like conjure up or like, I don't want to say pray, but he's like talking out into the wilds to like his dad 
who he doesn't know who he is, but he, he imagines is like some sort of like powerful, adventurous, strong fae, you know, some sort of fairy that he can like count on to help him in a time of trouble um, to make him brave and strong and heroic. And it's just really funny considering we know the ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to I'm not going to go into that too much, but oh, it's, it's just it's great. It's a very looking back on it was very funny because it's like, oh, yeah, we know who you're you're asking for guidance right now. And maybe not maybe not the best choice. <laughs> it was very funny because I knew I knew who his father was from the first moment I read the first word of the <laughs> first story. Uh, and it was delightful. Thank you, Kay, for why well, Kay will be here in, in a couple weeks. So we can thank her then. But uh, the story's fun. Uh, and, you know, classic, classic killing the witch by, like, pushing him into an oven or a cauldron. I just mm-hmm. I love that. We're, we don't yeah. we can we can just have tropes happen. It's OK. It's good. Yeah. I don't, I don't need it to be unexpected. I, th- I yeah. think one other thing the set and the story does, uh, not just this chapter, all all five across all five chapters, does really well, is um, have a mix of upending the tropes and embracing the tropes. Both things get to happen, and it's not always clear what which one is going to happen when. Um, and I think that helps make the moments where they're inverted or played with. Um, more exciting and the moments when they are just embraced and the thing just happens uh also rewarding um and uh it's good speaking of which let's go to episode three uh two great grand grant banquets (laughs) um this one had quite a few title title and url slug updates across the across the 10 minutes yeah, the the actual title is Two Great ban- Banquets, but it was posted as Two Grant, and then that got changed to Grand, which made a lot of sense. And then they changed it again to Great, and I don't really understand. I don't really understand why, but all right. <laughs> it might have been like a IRL Wordle thing where they're just kind of punching in and knew knew that the letters were in there somewhere. Um, so Rowan receives a letter from Will, um, a little bit condescending and so she sends him back a blank sheet of paper and says whenever you're actually ready to talk you can come you know see me in person um she arrives at ardenville after her dream from the previous chapter and finds that the place is just lousy with slumber um it's gotten to everybody even these sleeping knights who are on guard but turns out they actually do attack her when she approaches and she makes it into the grand ballroom and has to dance fight her way through a bunch of sleepy folks to reach. That's right, it's Ashiak. It's the planeswalker of the set. The one planeswalker is here doing dastardly things. Um, Ashiak is here. They take Rowan's hand and dance her to the throne where Ariette is waiting. Um, Ariette has a little bit of backstory familial relationship that she can exploit in this moment um she for those who haven't read the wildered quest rowan and will's biological birth mother was a witch who was slain by linden after basically killing the kids like the kids come back 
they have their spark. That's the Cliff Notes version of this. Um, but Ariette is enticing Rowan to join her on the dark side, become a witch like her birth mother, and use the sleep to put all the realms to sleep and give them good dreams. Um, not the most sound logic in my opinion, but Rowan's not in a very good headspace at this point either. And <laughs> no. Ashiak reveals to Rowan about the spark rupture. So we get all caught up on the fact that a lot of people don't have their planeswalker sparks anymore. And that knowledge obviously severely limits their options in this situation. So perfect time to cut over to Ruby and Kellen who have made a new friend. Troyan, a blue skinned guy, perhaps Videlkin. Who can say? Maybe from Ravnica, who's <laughs> uh, selling his beanstalk climbing experience. Um, they need to retrieve a mirror. That is their task this episode. If they can retrieve a mirror, then they're good. Um, uh, it's, it's very specifically Indralon the magic mirror. Yes. Which has disappeared from Castle Vantress and is going to tell them where the next witch is. Yes, they need to get the location from the mirror. And so they need to climb up this beanstalk to get this stolen object. <laughs> so well, they're, they're having quite the, quite the effort climbing up this beanstalk. But luckily, um, Troyan has a frogifying potion, again from Ravnica, and they're able to climb the beanstalk together and they happen upon a giant's castle up in the sky. And what do you know, it's a birthday party. Wonderful. Kellen, Ruby, and Troyan um, <laughs> avoid the dancing magical footsteps of the giants. Uh, Ruby is saving Kellen from being squashed, and Troyan is saving Ruby from being squashed. They're all looking out for each other, um, basically just trying to sneak their way um, past these giants in order to uh, ask the mirror the question that they came here for. Um, but they are found out. Um, what is her name? Is her name not in the summary? Baluna? Baluna. Uh, Baluna Grand Squall. There yeah, I think go. that's the one who finds them. Uh, yes. Yeah. So Baluna finds them, um, is about to feed Kellen to the goose when Yorvo, our good friend, from Eldraine 1 has stepped in and convinces her to chill out and not feed people to the goose um, and that they can go see the mirror because they've admitted that's all they're here for. Um, he doesn't think that they pose much of a threat and uh, basically gives them a wink and a nod to, you know, get to their business and get out of here. Um, Kellen is successfully able to ask the mirror where they can find Hilda, another one of the witches. Um, and in order to get the answer, they have to offer up a piece of information um, the mirror did not know. And so uh, Troyan tells the mirror that he's not from Eldraine. And in response, the mirror shows them the location of Hilda. Um, I think Icedale was the name. <laughs> no, it's it's Loch Laurent. Loch Laurent. Loch Laurent. One of those. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like... <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. It's just a castle. It's a castle on a lake. It's a castle. castle. It's frozen over. I wonder 
what frozen <laughs> property we would be attempting to visit. Oh, Who knows? It would be the Snow Queen by, I think, Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah, that one. Wait, did he, like, copy it off of Disney or something? Uh-huh. Uh, that dude's always don't actually. Uh, it's not talked about a lot, but Hans Christian Andersen did invent a time machine and uh, steal a bunch of Walt Disney's ideas. It's just a shame he didn't get cars first. No. <laughs> 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 Property cars. Um, so that's where we leave off with episode three. Um, they have pushed a witch into a cauldron. They have climbed up a beanstalk and interrupted a giant's birthday party. Um, they had been tasked by an otherworldly fae to deal with three witches. Pretty, pretty good fairy tale story. And um, at this point in reading, I was pretty much all on board with these. I know a lot of people weren't pleased with the pacing of the stories. Um, mostly because I think we're all on the same page of they need more space. But... Um, this is still extremely, extremely high up there in set stories and especially standalone set stories and above standalone set stories, ones that are extremely approachable for new players to get them on board with the upcoming year-long arc. It's perfect. Like, I'm happy with it. There we go. Hey, can, can we take a moment and just applaud the first canonical main set story appearance of Ashiok. Seriously. Yeah. A character that is almost 10 years old. <laughs> you, know, you know, I got traumatized. Jay was asking in the chat if uh, we knew where a certain weapon was mentioned in Magic Canon for Theros. And I was like, okay, I'm going to check all the Theros side stories so I start going through them on my site, mtglore.com, which anybody can do at this point. But I go to the comics and I pull up my copy of the comics and I was like oh I forgot Ashiok appears in like basically uh, three of four um, issue three of um, issue wait issue four and five of the Theros comics because it was a five comic run instead of previous four comic runs and Ashiok is there and then they started using the he pronouns and I was like oh I forgot this sucked shit <laughs> this, this was um, clearly miscommunication, um, some editing decision. Who knows exactly what happened at the time. That was still when they were kind of standing by there. They're not going to use singular they. And so at some point, the messaging got to IDW that Ashiak was a he. And it's just like extremely jarring to read in hindsight because I'm like, this wasn't a great way to start it off but uh, it's it's also where those comics ended yeah <laughs> so um, for some reason i think maybe the most attention was not being paid to those <laughs> for some reason but ashiak did pop up dreams of the city and then later in um war of the spark very notably Everybody loved them there, but then they took a little break. <laughs> yeah, until, the meditation plane. <laughs> until a one-off mid-between set side stories after Streets of New Capanna, where we got um, them visiting Elish Norn in um, New Phyrexia. And yes, has been largely out of the story 
for the most part, and never appearing in a proper standard, standard set main story. So, we finally get Ashiok. Everybody celebrate. We get Ashiok, and they're, like, incredibly well-characterized in the sense of, like, mm-hmm. very spooky and fun and also, like, scary. And I just, I don't know, I liked Ashiok a lot in this story. Perfectly haunting three. and manipulative in the exact ways that I would mm-hmm. expect for this kind of scheme. The the th- There's a way that Ashiok tells Rowan about the spark rupture, um... And, like, I forget exactly what Rowan says, but Ashok uh, says to Rowan, um, the spark is gone for you and for many others. And I just love that because it's the way Ashok phrases it to, like, clearly it's deceptive. It's just the most deceptive way to share that information is to say that, like, the spark is gone for you and for others in, like, saying, like, but not me. (laughs) (laughs) um there's also i one of the things i like most about ashiok is that they embody one of my favorite ways to construct horror and and that is through uh tonal dissonance where ashiok is creepy and unsettling but is also a person who is striving for beauty and elegance and refinement. And so having Ashiok's first actual main set story appearance be in the middle of this ballroom of of dancing victims of the sleeping spell and just dancing Rowan over to the right. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. Um, it is like the exact embodiment of who this character is uh in the flesh and like we 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 got some like good similar stuff happening in um brothers war one of the uh stories had uh had a a framing series of letters from ashiok to elspeth that were uh again doing the i am instilling fear and am inherently a horrific being but also i'm going to delicately write these intimate uh and loving letters in flowery prose uh and everything about ashiok in this story is just both the horror and the beauty perfectly enmeshed together it's wonderful to to go back a little bit gary you mentioned like the pacing um, and I understand some people might have, like, I will always say that, yes, we want more magic story. Um, like, Kay could have written 100,000 words on Eldraine, could have written a whole novel, and I would eat every bit of it up. Um, and I think that, like, magic deserves more. I think we deserve more than five stories for a set, and I think that's true. And we all know that, like, the reason why there's just five is time and budgeting constraints caused by giving us so much with mom Um, And I keep saying mom, I mean, March of the Machine. Um, (laughs) And I know that like that happens. But like one thing I will say is that when I was reading these stories, I was really impressed with the pacing. I thought that Mm -hmm. these these stories were so clearly written by someone who understood what they were doing. And I'm not saying like other writers don't know what they're doing. But I mean, like Kay has now written one, two, three this is this is her fourth set that she's worked on. 
uh, of stories with March of the Machine being like a massive amount of stories. Um, So this is like she's written quite a lot. And I think this is her first time really writing a five part story because like Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow were five parts each. But like it kind of all came together to be one big 10 part story. It it was really one big 10 part story. Yeah. Um, And so but I felt like when I was reading these, I was like, wow, this pacing is great because like everything that's unimportant got cut like we didn't need to see and I would have liked to see it, but we didn't need to see the scene where Ruby and Kellen recruit Troyan. That would have been really fun, but like we didn't need it for the story to progress. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way that it was written felt very natural to skip that moment and just throw us into them climbing the beanstalk. And I was like, Oh, this is good. I like this. Um, Like I, it worked and I really appreciate that. So I do think that like, while historically there have been a lot of pacing problems with the main set story. Um, and I agree that like this needed, like I think every story needs more than five. This is probably the tightest five episodes and, you know, first three that we're discussing today that we've had so far where it was like, it felt very like beat for beat. Correct. Um, Rowan's Rowan's descent into madness um, was a little bit, rushed but it's easier to accept it when you understand that we are missing a lot of the trauma leading up to the start of the story that puts Rowan in that spot um and I I think that's like both a crowning achievement for Kay and also for the story team that Mm -hmm. they went into this at least aware of the limitation and didn't Mm -hmm. set the scope of the story to be so broad that it would feel horribly horribly rushed uh packed into only five stories um as i think we've just like had the unfortunate history of in magic um especially in the post ebook return to web fiction um clearly there is a limitation to the number of main set stories that they were able to use and they didn't really always have that flexibility and some of the set stories that were already outlined or given to people just felt well beyond the scope of ever being able to pack into five concise stories. So both on the planning end and on the execution, I'm perfectly happy with this one. Obviously wish that it had more, but I'll let any other comments before I go into my slight little diatribe about this. Uh, my only other comment on the story is that I like the way that they showed Troyan, Troyan, whatever, however you want to pronounce that. Um, the Vidalkin is from Ravnica that he's like wearing green and blue and he's got like a weird multi-armed creature on his jacket that no one recognizes. Uh, and I mean, well, he's a Vidalkin, so he's not from Eldraine, but they thought he could just be like a fae, <laughs> you know? Um, and he like has the frogifying potions and I'm like, this is so Simic. Mm-hmm. He is such a Simic Vidalkin and I like that. Yeah, and and I think what's really fun is that this is one of the situations where the Omen Paths existing lets the story do a fun thing that's really rewarding if you know magic, and I think kind of enticing if you're newer, because all of a sudden, oh, here's this world, Eldraine, that I'm learning about, and then there's a guy from somewhere else, and... Where is that somewhere else? What's that world like? And so it just gets to be like a little nugget 
that points you in another direction um and for storytelling purposes like gets to have a little bit of ravnica here where we get a very ravnican specifically simic solution to a problem which is hey if you need to climb up really high become frog uh <laughs> and there the omen pass allow for that kind of thing to happen whereas like historically a planeswalker you know historically this would have been oh we would have created a new planeswalker character who would have gotten a card and appeared in the story for two sentences and then we'd never hear from them again um there's there's a lot less expectation for Trojan to continue being an influential character in magic um but obviously he is a core part of uh you know, the the side character lineup of this story. And um, I think that is, that's that's good. That's a good story change that I think makes this a better story um, and doesn't put as much pressure on, like, the brand in the way that, like, a Planeswalker card would. I also think it is just the perfect introduction mm-hmm. to Omen Paths for people who are onboarding here. It is... This is the Omen Path arc. I expect to see quite a few more of these bad boys coming up. But just being like the only one we're starting off with is Troyan. You'll get to see the main character go through an Omen Path. Spoilers. But (laughs) to start, you just get to know that there are off-worlders who are able to visit here because of this new feature. Well, and it, and it's and it's very clearly not something that's widespread. Tryon is the only guy in this whole set mm-hmm. like this. Um, everything else is from still just Eldraine. Um and so I, I, they, it gets to be like uh, Easter egg isn't the right word because it's not a hidden fact that he's a Vidalcan from Ravnica, um, but. It gets to make magic still feel like a big world, even uh, by big world, I mean big multiverse, without having to lean on the uniqueness of planeswalkers, which is a part of the intent of this change. And and I think uh, this is, you know, when we were talking about aftermath and the omen paths and, and the desparkings, and I'm sitting here like, well, when you get to Eldraine, there's going to be one character who shows up for an important moment. And I, but I can't say that, you know, four months ago, uh, but now it's here and we've read it and uh, stuff like this is very cool. And I'm very glad that uh, this part of the change is being executed well in this story. Just my last thought is on that. Um, I like that we have Troyan as this like off-worlder from Ravnica who walked through Nomen Path and gets to do a fun little thing on the plane, and we get to go like, oh look, this is what a Simic Vidalkin would do on Eldraine. Climb mm-hmm. beanstalks like a frog. Um, and then also we still have a planeswalker who is coming from a different plane wherever Ashiok was, and they're here to mess shit up. And that's like we still get that part of magic story. That's a long time, you know, stalwart of the genre of planeswalker coming in and causing problems. Yeah. Well, and I, a lot of people reacted to the desparking as if planeswalkers weren't going to matter anymore. Planeswalkers still exist. They are still impacting magic story. It just, they aren't the only thing impacting magic story. 
Um, and so the way planeswalkers will be used differently than legendary creatures is a little bit on display here and is going to be TBD for a longer term stuff because I have to keep my mouth shut. Um, but this is kind of our introduction to that. Anyway, uh, Carrie, uh, before we get too far, you had a thing you wanted to say. Yes. So both Kay and Shauna McGuire, who both have famously written for Magic Story, uh, put out basically pleas to just, like, if you want more story and you want more space for story and you want Magic Story to continue being a free model, then you need to encourage people to explore and enjoy Magic Story. And that is at the core of, like, the only way that we're going to get more flexibility it has become very apparent is um, just encouraging story consumption. And it doesn't cost anything. If you read it and you don't enjoy it, that's fine. But, like, just being able to share the story and get more people reading it has an immediate and direct impact on the people who care about giving magic story money inside of Wizards and how much they're able to budget um, for magic story fiction going forward. So if you can imagine it, like the famous three gear image where they're all touching and none of them can rotate, but people still use it as a logo. <laughs> Because if they're all interlocked with each other, then one can't move clockwise without turning the other two counterclockwise, but also those two meet. So nobody gets to move in this situation. And first gear in this situation is that story doesn't have enough space because it isn't popular enough to warrant additional resources. That's the one we have direct influence over. The second one is story is not as popular because it's not as good as it could be. And third gear is story is not as good as it could be because it doesn't have enough space. All three of these work together in the system. And if we are able to disengage and turn the one that actually affects how popular the story is, then we at least have, by the author's understanding and by Roy's own understanding during our interview with him, like that is the one that is able to affect things because the scope of the story can't get any smaller. If it gets smaller so that they're able to only pare things down to five episodes, then you're just going to end up with inconsequential stories or stories that at worst are shrunk down in a way that makes everything feel rushed, which we've experienced in the past. And I understand that much of the audience, including myself, is coming into this with baggage about wanting to recommend Magic Story because we've had it very, very good in the past where everybody was recommending it enthusiastically. And then, I won't say who, but somebody pulled the rug and <laughs> decided that a story finale needed to be pay-to-play and that everything past that story finale um, and its supplemental free web fiction kind of discount counterparts would be paid we experience that. We know that's a possibility. But we have at least three people who are telling us if the story is getting more popular, then it seems 
very, very likely that we will be able to get more story. And so that is the plea I'm going to repeat here, is that we can get magic story to be just better fiction altogether if it has more space. And if it has more space, then it's just going to be more popular because it's going to be a better story. And so the one thing we can do is echo that sentiment of if you're enjoying Magic Story, encourage other people to read it. Um, that is all we can do. We're not the marketing team for Wizards of the Coast. We <laughs> have no actual financial stake in Magic Story being popular. We have been with Magic Story during its lowest lows and its highest highs. So we know exactly what it is like. But um, if you can set aside the cynicism that I'm sure you all feel in addition to me that we could have it too good to be true and the same exact mistakes could be over again and let yourself believe that it's possible, then I think that um, we're on a good track. Like, I I trust the authors directly because they would be the people to know about any change in formats and same with Roy. So, like, I think it's possible they're obviously sharing the sentiment for good reason because they know that this is the way you can impact things. So there, I'll platform our episode and say, sure, Magic Story, if you're enjoying it. And even if you don't enjoy it as much as you could have, know that there are obvious limitations being placed on the people who are creating the story and that those limitations are affecting the final product that you're receiving. And there's no way around it except for more people to consume the story because it's been clear that even with the enthusiasm of March of the Machine and Phyrexia All Will Be One, we're not at the limit where people are freeing up the pocketbooks for magic fiction within Wizards of the Coast. So there you go. Share story, yeah. love story. Shannon had a very good Twitter thread uh, recently about all this and i i think the the big main upshot point from that that she was hammering home is that click the links please just click the links even if you don't read the story just click the link clicks on the links to the stories is what gets put into the data machine that says people are reading magic story which feeds back into this whole process this so isn't youtube watch time <laughs> there you go. You don't have to get a mid-roll ad for some direct-to-consumer yeah. service that is abusing its workers. You just click Wizards, and that's fine. I mean, so if you want, click the link, and about five minutes later, I'll show up at your house and uh, just just ad lib like a, a, a fifteen-second advertisement to you. Um, <laughs> but you know, you don't have to ask for that. Uh, I I think we're gonna wrap the episode up here. Because we are close to an hour. Uh, so, final thoughts. Uh, my final thought this week is I have finally won my my legal battle against the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the federal government in the United States of America and uh, gotten, gotten them to actually recognize my name legally. So, uh, hooray to me. That I had a very, very quick court case and then I got to sit in the Social Security Administration's office waiting room for close to an hour uh uh last week and uh on a very stressful day but yeah it only took me like almost five years 
which is stupid. The whole process is stupid. And is extortion, by the way. This has cost me money. Um, stupid. Uh, I don't like the government, in case people weren't clear <laughs> on that from a lot of the things I've said over the years on the show. Uh, but so that's cool. Cool. Still congratulations. Cool happening. Thank you. Uh, cool thing happening in the lore of life. The, uh, the lore of lore. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my final thought, uh, you know, I could talk about Baldur's Gate and we did for like 30 minutes before recording. <laughs> I feel like 10 minutes. Yeah, it was a while. Um, but, uh, instead I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna keep on keeping on and I'm gonna mention, uh, books I read. I read a book recently called Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead, I believe, uh, the author's last name, their last name, uh, just a really like it's it's a novel but it's kind of memoir-ish it's the plot is very um spread out like it's not a plot heavy book uh but it is about like a a, a canadian uh indigenous native person who is two spirit and their relationship with like the society in which they live in and also like their like home life and their family and their history and all it's, it's very good. Um, definitely recommend it. Uh, it is got some very adult themes, but it was nice. It reads very similarly to like a book of prose poetry, poetry in a way where like there are chapters and each chapter feels a little self-contained, um, as the, the plot is kind of spread out amongst all of them. So I really enjoyed it. My final thought book recommendation number two for this episode um exhalation by ted chang he his i think better known short story collection stories of your life and others um was the inspiration for the film arrival exhalation is an extremely good collection the title story of it is um perfect emotional moment for kind of climate awareness and self-awareness so Go ahead and check that out. Also, if you haven't seen Arrival, go watch Arrival. It is, yes. I think, the best sci-fi film I have seen. The, uh, the, the of the story of, of the so sci-fi different. of the sci-fi films that have been made in the last like twenty years. I think Arrival might be my favorite that I've seen. I have not gotten to see Arrival. I know what it changes about the mm-hmm. story from the original. Um, Similar feeling to how I have about Annihilation, where I'm just like, I did watch Annihilation after reading the book. Pretty much very, very divergent story, but mm-hmm. both wonderful. I yeah, recommend my, both experiences my, wholeheartedly. Yeah, my, my understanding of Annihilation is that the ways it diverges from the book are very divergent, but... Uh, the film still I, I i have not read the book it's i have still seen the film a couple times. <laughs> the film was very very good yeah um and uh yeah i people shut up about books versus movies like they're different they're different media if things change it's a different thing just let them be different anyway uh 
if you also like media and talking about media and sometimes arguing about media, but in healthy and respectful ways with your peers that you enjoy being around, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthoscast because everyone who supports us on Patreon gets access to our Discord community or Vorthoses Vorth, from around the world. Um have me tripping over our little community's name for ourselves apparently <laughs> uh are having good time <laughs> we are talking a lot about Baldur's Gate 3 on on the server a lot of us are playing it's very fun uh but you know we're in the midst of a preview season which is always very exciting um there are some good implications about the end of the story so people have been predicting about where our next year is going um very excited for us to uh get there and uh are just having a good time and so uh it's also also oh my god uh everyone go see blue beetle ah uh everyone needs to go see blue beetle so that <laughs> we can get jaime in more films um the the actor playing him whose name i'm blanking on uh Shola something uh magic fan has been on game nights with jimmy and josh a couple times go see blue beetle this has been the vorthos cast